Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, welcome back to In The Pink with me, Natalie Pinkham and Bose, helping you stay connected throughout the lockdown and beyond. A big thank you to Michelle Moan. What a life story she has had and continues to have. If that doesn't get made into a movie, then I will eat my Ultimo bra. Michelle, thank you for your time. Proof that hard work and tenacity does indeed get you a very long way in life. Now, next up is someone equally as hardworking and tenacious, the comeback kid of Formula One, Mr. Danny Kvyat. And there is a lot more to Mr. Kvyat than first meets the eye. Did you know, for example, that he loves to read the classics and plays the electric guitar? Hmm. How many F1 drivers do you know who read Tolstoy? Well, Kvyat is one of them. So let's hand over the reins on In The Pink to Mr. Kvyat. Take it away. Well, great to see you. And your hair's growing back. You're getting back yeah. to your normal ways. Thanks. Yes, I, I, I liked uh, when it was a bit shorter, the hair, but uh, sometimes you have to, to grow it back now. <laughs> More aerodynamic with the, with the shortcut. Um, how have you been coping? Because it's kind of getting easier, I've heard, in Monaco. Yes, it's, uh, it's much calmer now. The, some places uh, have been opened up already. Uh, the beaches, uh, the seaside and... Uh, uh, the outside training uh, has been uh, back to normal. So, uh, yeah, the life is pretty much back to uh, very close to normal, I would say. And uh, we went to, to one restaurant with, uh, with a couple of uh, friends that, that I know are very careful uh, uh, about their uh, hygiene, I would say. <laughs> uh, in the restaurant, we sat outside and, uh, and it was nice. It was a strange feeling, but uh, it was good to have one glass of wine maybe with them and, uh, and laugh about some, some things. So nice. I think we forget how much we need interaction and touch as humans. It's kind of what powers us, isn't it? Yeah, well, still, you know, kept keeping the distance. Uh, obviously, it's still not like, uh, not like everyone was hugging and, uh, and kissing. Uh, there was still, uh, still uh, the tension is there, of course. It's not like it's going to go from one day to, to, to normal. Of course, you still need to be careful uh, and... Uh, but yeah, of course, it's, uh, it was nice. It uh, felt strange, but uh, nevertheless, it was nice. So uh, how was lockdown for you? Was it quite lonely or did you get to see people throughout the, the, the you know, the, what, what was it, sort of eight or ten weeks out there? Well, yeah, but I would say that the, the peak part, I think, was a bit, uh, 
lonely for everyone because it was when everyone was strongly advised to stay at home no matter what. And uh, uh, yeah, there was a part where yeah, it was uh, a little bit, uh, maybe not so much to do, a little bit uh, bored in a way, but uh, have to, you know, carry on, try to find the new things. Uh, like I tried to play guitar quite a bit, read some books and uh, enjoy some movies and maybe just have some rest, you know. The time, uh, I never had time to have such a, you know, easygoing schedule and I uh, just try to enjoy it in a way. Yeah, but hang on, I heard it wasn't just learning to play the guitar. You did something with Biffy Cairo. What was that? Yes, we did a, a, a piece uh, with uh, Biffy Clyro, with, uh, with Simon, and uh, their lead singer. And uh, it's a very cool guy, uh, very easygoing personality. He was uh, very comfortable, you know, talking with him. And uh, I, was, uh, I watched him a little bit uh, play the F1 game and try to give him some tips about uh, maybe how, how to take some corners here and there. And, uh, and uh, he's been doing a good job. And then uh, he watched a bit me playing guitar and he gave me some, some tips about it so we kind of exchanged a bit our uh, uh, professional experience that is very cool that's like that's like the ultimate masterclass getting exchanging talent tips i love it and then the reading because that's the other thing that has surprised me about you is just how much you do read well, I mean, you know, I try to, to read because obviously when you're especially in, in the lockdown and staring at the screen all the time is a bit, uh, it could be a bit depressing, no? So I tried to read and uh, maybe learn something new and also it's very nice. It calms me down a little bit before going to bed and uh, helps me sleep a little bit better. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I tried to read the books right now. I'm reading uh, Mike Tyson's biography. Uh, it's uh, very interesting. It's really it really like sucked me in and uh, I really, I, I read usually always in the evening, but now I read also in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. It's a very interesting book. Cool, I'll add it to the list. I never, well, I'm bad. I don't create enough time for reading. And the problem is I, it's soporific to me. I will open a book and just nod off after like one page. I get so sleepy when I read. But that's good also, so you should do it before bed. <laughs> I try to, but I never get very far. Um, I'm re reading I Am Pilgrim at the moment. Have you read that? Oh, I am what? I Am Pilgrim. Ah, Pilgrim. Uh, who, who wrote it? So my husband says, and actually so does my sister-in-law and my mum, that it's the best book they've ever read. Better than Shantaram, better than anything else. But the reason, I mean, listen, I don't know why I'm surprised to hear an F1 driver read as much as you do, but you're, you're actually really into classic literature as well, aren't you? Or at least you were growing up. Yes, yes, I was. Uh, I was reading a lot of classics. Uh, I read them uh, when I was younger, uh, a little bit younger. And uh, uh, because in Russia, there are many classic uh, writers now. There is Tolstoy. Uh, Dostoevsky and uh, uh, things like that and uh, I read uh, some of their books and uh, yeah I would say it's quite uh, it makes you think quite a lot uh, but now I'm more into like with easier stuff you know just trying to to enjoy a bit more like also Mike Tyson's biography of course is also very uh, there are some like interesting bits and uh, makes you think about uh, how such a you know great athlete was uh, was uh, getting to where he is now, becoming world champion. Yeah. And, and how did that marry into the homeschooling? Because um, 
you certainly had to do a bit of that with your dad, didn't you? And it wasn't easy because like most young racers, all you want to do is get out there on the track and that consumes all your thoughts. So how did you kind of run the homeschooling alongside your racing ambitions? Uh, yeah, well, uh, yeah, I was never really into homeschooling, especially when I was away at races. It's, uh, you, you know, you're driving all day. First of all, you get a bit tired. And even on the day off, days off, I was just thinking about, okay, how I was taking this corner, how I should try to take it next time, what like setup we tried on our go-kart, should we try to do this? And with the engine, what did we do? Should I do this or that? And I would call my team boss and we would talk about like different things. I was more interested in that than, uh, I was more interested in go-kart parts than in the, in the school, to be honest. Uh, uh, so for me it was a bit tough but I still tried to force myself because my parents were saying look if it will go wrong for you in racing you will need uh, uh, education a lot so I tried to you know do the math uh, the history sometimes I would be very lazy I wouldn't study and my parents would be angry at me but I was like sorry guys <laughs> well you had the application to read Leo Tolstoy which is more than most kids can say so, so did you have a plan b did you have a, a an option that you could fall back on if racing didn't materialize into a career? Well, I would guess it would be you no know, bit of a classic path. You no, know, try to get a diploma in university or I don't know, start uh, some business projects. Uh, I don't know well, then where life would uh, would take. You know, if uh, if uh, I know some guys who didn't make it, maybe they they go to some businesses, some property business and stuff like that, and actually. Uh, can do a pretty good job there also uh, so but for me it was always about you know trying to make it to as much top as possible uh, I never really thought about uh, uh, about plan b because I was sure uh, inside myself that uh, I I'll make it you know and when did that spark first come when did the the passion for racing start? because you know it's it's fairly unusual I would say growing up as a, a Russian kid to have those kind of aspirations would that be fair Yes, uh, I would say now the racing is a lot more popular in Russia than it was back then when, when I was starting. When I was starting, it was at a quite uh, low level. It wasn't from, no one was uh, familiar with Formula One, with racing in general. Um, so yeah, it was all by chance. Uh, I, I just uh, tried the go-kart once and uh, I got the racing bug and uh, and uh, that was uh, that was it really. I was in uh, uh, I was uh, very passionate about it. I straight away understood that this is what what makes me hap the happiest, and uh, and uh, that's it. So I just uh, sticked to it and uh, and uh, chose my road uh, very early on. And what did your parents make of that? I mean, it's uh, it's one thing you being passionate about it, but it's another thing persuading them. Yeah, well, I mean. My mom mainly saw it as a danger, dangerous sport, and uh, the speed uh, of like even the mini mini go kart was like terrifying her a little bit. Uh, so she was like, "Need to be careful." But my father, uh, he was quite happy that uh, I think I was finding something that I, I was really enjoying and that I was dedicating myself to it completely uh, with all my my heart. And uh, so he was happy to support me in something that I love doing. And was it obvious from a very early age that you had a natural ability to race? 
Yes, yes, I would say so. Yes, since first times, uh, I think I wasn't seeing it enough, but I think other people around me they they would always uh, be quite sure that uh, in terms of speed and uh, and pace, I was uh, in the racecraft. I was always uh, immediately uh, up there because I straight away started to compete in the Russian Championship where there was a lot of experienced guys, but I managed straight away to you know. Uh, beat them or at least gave them a very big uh, uh, rivalry and uh, and uh, of course I was lacking experience in the beginning but it was immediately like clear that when you qualify on pole or in the first top three straight away it was a very good sign and uh, and then, then we decided to move to Italy because the level of racing was um, uh, so much higher there you know you can race uh, in Europe uh, every year because there is no such a harsh winter there and uh, and there is no snow, so you can race all the time everywhere uh, and every week. Uh, and there is a lot of karting tracks. While in Russia at that time there was too little tracks, and but now luckily it keeps growing. So I'm happy to see that that progress. That's quite a bold decision at a young age. Because what were you sort of ten or eleven when you moved to Italy? It's quite a leap of yes. faith of your parents. Yes, of course. Yeah, uh, I did a couple of years of karting in Russia and we started to occasionally go to Italy and we saw that maybe in Italy it was very much tougher competition and uh, that uh, that's where we had to be in terms to to be able to prove uh, myself and grow grow as a racing driver as much as possible and uh, yeah it was bold but you know uh, that was necessary uh, so sometimes it takes a bit of uh, risk uh, risky decisions now to to get uh, uh, up, up. So what happened? You, both your parents moved with you? How did it work? Uh, yeah, that, uh, temporarily they were once at a time with me because uh, my father uh, had to, to do some uh, work in, in Moscow and uh, uh, my mom would be often with me then my father would uh, attend most of my races and I had to go to Italian school uh, since very young age and uh, I didn't know the language to start with so it was very hard and uh had to learn very quickly and uh um uh yeah that was not an easy one but still um it went well uh in the end uh, i got very friendly with many italian guys and i still have some friends from from school uh even until now it's it's amazing commitment for a family to make you know in pursuit of your dream at such a young age is it like does it surprise you when you look back at that now that was did you, do you feel like it was a sacrifice that they made or did, did you just have that that fire burning so bright even as young as 10 or 11 that this was going to be something that would work well for everyone well you know at that age you kind of you know you commit to something and you never look back i think i think i never really looked back i just did things and uh, we thought it was right at that time and we did it and it was my new life you know my new reality and, uh, i had to adapt to it when you're at that young age you adapt quite quite quickly luckily so uh, for me after two or three years in Italy I was already fluent in Italian and uh, and uh, very familiar with local rules with local karting and uh, uh, yeah so it was very fast adaptation uh, luckily when you're very young uh, so I never uh, looked back at that age. That's amazing really amazing and uh, actually you know fast forward to 2018 I know it, would, it was a bit of uh, a strange time for you dipping out of Formula One in terms of the racing but there must have been a massive sense of pride being a sim driver for Ferrari having had such a big chunk of your life in Italy. 
Uh, yes, of course. Yes, obviously, simulated driver. Maybe you would want to be the main driver, of course. But uh, also, that is. Uh, it was very nice times. Uh, very nice times. Like I said, you know, many times uh, that, that period was still very important for me for my uh, re recreation process and uh, to be able to come back uh, to a fun with more hunger and. Uh, and uh, deliver better results, you know, because uh, yeah. once you, you're not hungry enough, maybe when you lose a bit your love for sport, it's, it's harder to perform. So that year really helped me to regain my uh, my confidence and my uh, my natural ability back, yeah. Now, I know I'm jumping around a bit in terms of the years, but um, you made an interesting point there about sort of falling back in love with the sport. Had it kind of chipped away at you a lot? Because I remember talking to you in the pen a number of times and there was one time where I felt like your body language was was really bad and you needed to, I don't know, almost take yourself out and and and. Um, regain that confidence that we saw at the beginning and that's certainly something fast forwarding to now or at least to the end of last year that seems to have happened do you think everybody needs a bit of a reset now and again oh well I can't talk for everyone of course of course uh, everyone's situation is different you know but uh, for me yeah it was I think I, I maybe I was a bit more uh, a bit more I I affected by those uh, you know, events that, that led up uh, uh, for me to to lose a bit my, my my fire, my passion for the sport. And like you pointed out, yeah, there was times when I wasn't really enjoying it when I was there in the TV pen and I didn't really want to be there, uh, to be honest. Uh, and uh, and that's okay. wrong, you know. When I'm sorry. This... <laughs> no, no, I, I meant not just TV pen. I didn't want to be there in general, not just TV pen. I meant in... Uh, uh, I didn't feel like uh, I didn't want to be there in the in the paddock in general. I oh, felt no, like yeah. those times, but when it's like this, it's wrong. It means that something is not working, and you need to take a step back and uh, and uh, re refresh. So sometimes it's impossible because you always need to perform. But l uh, luckily for me, there was this year, 2018, and uh, then 2019. Uh, uh, it was. It felt much better, and uh, I, I loved like uh, being in TV pen with you, for example, more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but joking aside, when you are having a hard time in the sport, the last thing you feel like is someone like me shoving a mic under your nose and asking you to recount and explain and um, you know almost justify what's what's happened. And it, and it's 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 one of the harsh realities of the sport. I think everybody sort of feels that you guys are just living the dream, racing cars, and you are to a great extent. But um, when times are tough, you're, you're very exposed, aren't you? I mean, you, you, the, the spotlight is very much on you. Yes, of course, yeah, you're right. And sometimes, uh, like in the past, you know, it was bothering me quite a lot. But, you know, now uh, I just grown to learn that this is part of, of the job. And to be honest, now it's it can still be sometimes frustrating. Of course, you, you can have a bad day and you're always going to have a not-so-good day in our sport, especially with so many races. Uh, sometimes something will not go your way and uh, uh, it's okay, you know, you need to explain and pull yourself forward and, uh, and live with that and uh, turn the page, I would say. So, it's, it's, yeah, it's normal. Of course, when I'm in F1 since I'm 19 years old and uh, in the beginning, it's... Uh, it's uh, I came very young, maybe uh, on the age of too young, but then uh, now I see it differently. Uh, uh, the, the things that used to irritate me now don't really irritate me anymore. 
the world continues to evolve. And the new norm isn't fully clear yet. But what does remain constant is the core message from our friends at Bose. Stay calm, stay centred and stay connected. Communication is key in everything we do and goes a long way to nurturing both ourselves and our relationships with others. So continue to talk about what matters to you. And don't be afraid to block out unhelpful noise or indeed to embrace silence because doing both can be great. Some of the ways we work will have changed forever. Embrace that. Make those new ways work for you. Shape the new norm to suit you. Feel more, do more, be more with Bose. Well, let's cast your mind back then to 2014 when you joined Toro Rosso and, and you kind of came up through the programme. Um, then the, the following year, you were at Red Bull, you were actually doing incredibly well. Were you kind of thinking, yeah, I'm set now, this is, this is it, you know, I'm on this trajectory? Or were you constantly aware that this was always a learning process and you, everybody was talked so much about the Red Bull programme being so ruthless and Helmut Marco not taking any prisoners. Was that pressure kind of always there or did you feel that you had everything under control? Oh, you know, uh, it's hard to say. I think uh, at that time, you know, my first rookie year, I think rookies year, rookie years are always, you know, in the way uh, if once you start getting the flow, it should be your one of your easiest years because everyone is praising you, everyone is happy. Even if you make a small mistake, everyone will say, you know, uh, it's normal, it's part of the process, of course. It's n nothing bad in it. Uh, then, of course, straight away, uh, going to Red Bull Racing uh, was a big change of the atmosphere. It was a, a top team already at that time. And, uh, um, you know, uh, they won many championships before I came into the team and once I, unfortunately, once I came into the team, it was one of the worst, uh, you know, uh, packages uh, they had uh, for a while, unfortunately, uh, at that time. And uh, yeah, so it wasn't easy in that respect. Of course, uh, if we would be constantly on the podiums uh, uh, and the competitive competitiveness level would be higher of the car, it would be a different story, but it wasn't. So it's uh, just sometimes timing, uh, uh, work uh, for you and against you, no? uh, in, in, in life and in sport in general. So uh, just was slightly, uh, yeah, slightly, just a little bit missing uh, uh, maybe a couple of podiums uh, uh, would help a lot, the security, the, the confidence feeling. And even if I did very well against Daniel that year, still, you know, the, the atmosphere in the team was, was, uh, was tricky because it's, uh, it's, um, it's not where they used to be uh, at that time uh, normally. So, uh, so yeah, was uh, there was always a bit of pressure there, of course. But you did, of course, get your first podium in 2015 in Hungary. Just, just reflect on that for us. What was the feeling like? Was it a lot of pressure off your shoulders? Do you think just to bag that first podium? Yeah, it was nice. You know, we've been having not an easy season until now, and uh, until then, I mean. And uh, then in Hungary, we got a double podium. Uh, which was very nice for the team, was a big refreshment. And um, so I was happy. I, I, I could say to myself, at least uh, one podium is, uh, is in the pocket, you know. Uh, it's, so it's always, you know, about ticking boxes. Uh, and um, that's how I go, you know, in, 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 uh, in career. Okay, that was the, 
one tick on the box and I wanted to know more podiums and uh, now I had uh, maybe two more since then and you know you always want to tick your first victory box and uh, I think after you tick your victory box off then you want the championship and so on. And then fast forward to 2016 in China I tell you one of my most enduring memories of that was you in the cool down room with Sebastian and you really holding your own because he was giving you a bit of criticism and you didn't back down much like the way you drove in the race. How do you remember that time? Uh, yeah, I mean, people remember that uh, episode because of course it went on the internet and uh, <laughs> everyone, you know, how the modern world unfortunately works like this. You, you only believe and remember what, what was, uh, what, uh, what, what, what was filmed. No. So, um, uh, it was good. I mean, it was a nice race for me at that time. You know, it was very tricky times already, and uh, to get that that podium was nice. But um, yeah, uh, he wasn't happy, and uh, he said it. But uh, I thought that I wasn't uh, wrong in that episode, so I just said that I I didn't share his opinion. That's all. I think uh, that was my main point. I was a little bit surprised at that time, to be honest. But. Uh, yeah, no, no hard feelings. We actually get along uh, quite well, you know. Yeah, I think you did it with a big smile on your face, and that makes everything much better. So, um, actually, that that make, that reminds me. I was going to ask you who you are, your mates are on the grid. Who would you kind of classify as a good friend? Or is it hard to be mates with other racers? It's hard, I think, to be completely, you know, saying yes, it's friend. Uh, um, kind of thing you know we're always going to be competitors we always want to beat each other we always want to you know uh be be, be better in some way and like this friendship uh, suffers no normally uh but uh i know i know everyone quite well and i think outside the track uh, pretty much everyone is quite uh, maybe i spend most time with uh, daniel ricciardo uh and uh carlos uh who was that uh, robert kubik kubica uh, Valtteri and uh, Nico Hülkenberg, maybe m mostly the guys who I saw more outside the, the track, I would say. But then on the track again, whoever we have conversation with is always very friendly, you know, in a way. But uh, yeah, on track you want to always be, be better, no? Now, obviously, after that podium in China, we thought, you know, and I'm sure you did too, that, you know, more podiums would come and your career would grow and grow. And then you had that massive blow of being demoted um, and Max coming in and then, and then winning on his debut. I mean, was that the part of the process where your confidence took a, took a big knock and that you realised you had to rebuild from there? Because it showed, I think everybody agrees, massive strength of character that you did come back from that. Yes, yes, of course. It's not, um, you know, it's not. Uh, it wasn't the best times for sure for me. It was uh, tricky, tricky times. Uh, yeah, it was that time when uh, you didn't like my body language in TV pen, I guess, <laughs> uh, because uh, yeah, I wasn't. Uh, yeah, I wasn't a happy guy at that time. Uh, for me, it was uh, a bit tricky times. Uh, that's when I think I wasn't uh, wasn't very excited about. Uh, going racing anymore but uh it's part of life you know it's part of, of sport and uh coming back from those moments uh uh you have to come back you know you have to to keep strong and uh, isolate your your bad thoughts about negative thoughts and uh try to move forward regardless 
and um, yeah, it wasn't easy, but uh, it took uh, maybe uh, until 2019, but uh, then it was, it was much better. <laughs> so what was the process? How did you do it? Did you get support from friends and family? Who kind of mentored you through that? Uh, you know, yeah, many people, of course, they tried to help everyone was there were many kind people but still it's not enough you know you, you have to be you have to do it by yourself unfortunately there is nothing uh it's very rare that someone will pull you through the whole process you know it's important that you also go and uh, fight your own demons and you fight your own uh, you know character and understand what uh, what makes you happy what doesn't and uh uh yeah you still have but uh, of course i i got good support from friends from family uh, but sometimes I wasn't open to support, really. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's okay because then uh, maybe 2018 was a year off that I needed, and uh, it helped in that time. So, so in a bad situation, just take a year off, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not everyone comes back after a year off, but I think there'll be lots of people listening to this, particularly young people and people at the moment that are struggling um, after lockdown and they're trying to get their careers back on track. Um, is there advice that you can give them? Is, are there things, do you think that kind of time for reflection and perhaps people have been able to do that in lockdown is important in just getting some kind of clarity on where you really want to go in life? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Well, of course, you know, sport is one thing and life is another thing, so it's a bit hard. Uh, hard to compare sometimes of course there are some similarities but you know just need to you know carry on no matter what and um, try to not, not, not to think negative and try to even in a, in a difficult situation uh, you're never really lonely and you need to try you know to to keep moving forward uh, and not to get frustrated with yourself and, uh, and with the circumstances uh, so just also the patience is very important uh, in the in those cases, I guess, but uh, 
uh, yeah, everyone, everyone's situation, I think, is quite personal. So it's hard to just give one solid advice. Was there ever a time that, that you thought you would give up, that you'd leave F1? Did you feel like the doors closed at any point? Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I said many times that 2018, you know, I kind of let it go already. And I thought that, you know, probably that's it. But, uh, you know, very luckily, you know, I got another chance. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it, made, it makes me think that, uh, of course, uh, I'm lucky doing what I'm doing. And uh, I'm very happy. You know, now that we go back racing again, it's very exciting times because uh, I love what I do, you know, and, uh, and driving this, uh, this car, this incredible cars uh, on the best tracks with the best, uh, you know, strongest rivals possible. It's always a fantastic uh, feeling and opportunity. So just tell us a bit more about 2018. So you were the, the, the sim driver for Ferrari. But how kind of immersed were you in the whole Ferrari culture? What was that experience like? Yeah. Just for info, I have 1% battery left. If I'll disappear, yes. I'll call you from my, from my iPad, okay? Okay, fine. <laughs> Okay, but I'll carry. I'll, I'll go. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, it was nice. I mean, I was uh, you know just uh, mainly simulator driver. I attended a couple of races as a third driver as well. Um, yeah, it was nice. Of course, when once I was on the track, I was always thinking, uh, "Damn, it would be nice to go driving," you know. Uh, but I couldn't, so I tried to enjoy the city a little bit and just uh, being on the track and uh, the simulator job was, was quite a lot uh, and uh, just doing it uh, uh, quite often, especially in the beginning of the year, you know, when car is still quite um, quite fresh, but also during summer quite quite a bit and uh, just trying you know, to help as much as possible every time that I went in there. I know I, I tried to, of course, simulator is not the real car and sometimes it can be, if you're ex, ex Formula One driver, it can be boring to just drive simulator, but with the mindset to, to do my best. It must have helped speaking the language because one of the big things that all the engineers say is that just to be part of their culture, be able to communicate them and get the nuances of their culture is so important. That must have stood you with good stead. Yes, for sure, it was a uh, help. So I was able to communi communicate, you know, with uh, Italian, uh, with most of the engineers and team members. And uh, of course, I wasn't, you know, communicating professionally with everyone because my job was quite limited. But still, it was uh, important, and everyone was pleased. And of course, when you talk language of someone, then it feels a bit more like friendly and more at home for them. And so they open up a bit more with you, and and so on. So yeah, of course, it, it made a difference, positive difference. But I'm right in thinking it's not just Russian, Italian and English you speak. You're a bit of a linguist. There's Spanish. Is it true the Spanish, Dutch yeah. and Finnish in there as well? Dutch, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> and Finnish, no. Just very basic. Yeah, very basic words. Just go with it. Go with it. Makes you sound really intelligent. <laughs> no, no. I speak a bit of French also, you know. But pretty well for languages for languages that'll do so when did you first know uh when did you first realize that there was going to be an opportunity for you to come back into formula one was it helmet marco who called you uh well yeah you know we, we've been a little bit in touch with uh, uh with helmet uh, uh a bit during the beginning of summer uh i was you know making a few calls to see how how's the situation around and anyway we 
maintain the contact even after after we ended the relationship in 2017. Uh, so we uh, uh, we kind of uh, were able to stay in touch. And then uh, once the whole thing, you know, when the market started to move around, and then I got the call and uh, we set up a meeting and we managed to 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 go through details and kind of uh, already there and the meeting kind of make a deal. And then we just started uh, to work on details and uh, the contract was ready. So then uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was very happy times for me at that time. I was very happy, but at the same time, I was a little bit anxious about coming back. Uh, you know, it's not easy to come back to the same, exactly same ambient with which maybe there was some tricky situations, tricky times. So uh, it took also a bit of, I never thought twice, but once I did sign, I was thinking, okay, it's going to be in the beginning a little bit challenging, uh, but luckily it was not. In what way? Challenging in terms of your ability or just reconnecting with other people? Not just reconnecting with other people, but uh, we made a good deal, you know, we made a good, uh, uh, France, France also was very supportive internally on, um, on, uh, on many things and uh, welcomed me back uh, very warmly. So I was very thankful you know, to him uh, for him to, to, for support because I think he knew the same thing that uh, I have big potential, but I needed a bit of uh, you know, support in the beginning uh, to gain my confidence. And yeah, of course, you know, you, you don't want to uh, make a disaster, you know, in, in your comeback. Of course, if the first few races would be totally bad, uh, you know, I would be starting to doubt myself again. But luckily, as the season went by, it was getting uh, quite good. And how different did you feel within yourself? Did you feel like you'd grown as a person? Yes, yes, I did. Uh, I was more aware of different things, you know, I was more uh, under control, I would say. Uh, in the situations, you know, where before I would be maybe panicking a bit or more nervous, I was able to to hold my, my cool better. and. Um, uh, yeah, it was it was evident, and also to other guys in the team who knew me since I was young, uh, they said that it's quite uh, nice, you know, to have you back. Oh, it was. It was lovely to see your face back in the paddock. And so what were your mechanisms um, for coping with the, the anxiety? Did, did you train more? Did you, I know you like your boxing, but did you meditate? How, was that about music? How did you cope with um, the pressure? Yeah, you know, also I I came back, you know, with uh, with uh, with Stu, uh, my physio was uh, was a big help, of course. Uh, he uh, I know him since 2010. He was my trainer also when we were in Red Bull Junior, and uh, you know, I was looking for, for a trainer to come back, and I wanted to have someone I knew very well next to me because it would help me to because we spent so much time together, so that it would help me, you know, to. To, and he knew me quite well, also personally. So sometimes he would, you know, give me some good piece of advice uh, during the year, especially in the first races. And uh, like with him, was uh, was very good, uh, good atmosphere. Uh, and of course, it wasn't easy for him to come back because he has his family. But he really was uh, was also interested about the project. And uh, so we did uh, one year was a uh, uh, good uh, fun times. And, uh, and uh, yeah, of course, working out. Uh, uh, you know, having good uh, working ethic when you're at home, even not only at races, when you sleep well, eat well, you're able to repeat your training consistently. Uh, it's, uh, sorry, sorry, it's important, you know. 
Yes, Stu is a lovely, lovely man. That is definitely true. And I think it's really important to have a, a mate, someone that, that you can actually talk to at the track with you. Because, you, you know, you're in and out of hotels. It's all a bit impersonal. And then when you're at the racetrack, as you've already, already alluded to, it's difficult to kind of connect with the other drivers because ultimately you're performing, competing against them. So it is important to have... Like, I remember Jensen Button always talking about the importance of a, a sort of little bubble and creating a little circle of friends around you that sort of has all, have always got your back. Um, you obviously had um, Helmet Marco as well as a kind of, <laughs> you know, he is, I think he's quite scary. Um, you probably feel differently, but, you know, he's kind of had this really interesting kind of control over your career. He's definitely been a massive support to you. How much influence do you think he has had on your career and your life generally? Oh, well, well, since 2009, uh, a lot. <laughs> That's when I joined Red Bull Junior. And uh, of course, since then, uh, you know, the major career decisions uh, in one way or another were influenced and decided by him. So I had to work a lot uh, trying to, you know, convince him uh, I'm worth it, you know, worth first, you know, uh, of course, this, they pay for your career in, uh, in junior categories, so it's important to always show that you are a hard worker, that you deliver the result. Then you need to you know, prove your worth, that you are worth it in, to go to Formula 1, then promotions here and there. And, uh, and um, there was uh, a lot of those steps, you know, and uh, yeah, he's also a very good mentor. You know? He'll always be honest with you, and uh, if you are... Uh, Bad, uh, he will not be shy about it, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's a <clears throat> diplomatic way of putting it. Because I heard that he has got interesting kind of psychology with the, with the drivers. And quite often he'll say things to you just before you're about to go out. That's kind of, I don't know if they're meant to unsettle you or just to test you. But he'll say things like, you know, you better be good today, otherwise that's it. Or, you know, words to that effect. I'm sure he's, <laughs> he's slightly punchier language than that. Is that true? Yes, yeah, true. Yeah, just remember, like in, in Singapore, in Formula BMW, I think it was still 2010, and uh, uh, in the grid, you know, there is two lights to go, and that's where everyone has to leave. And uh, I was starting from pole, and uh, you know, he would come to me, and he ran to me while everybody already had to leave, and he said, uh, "Good luck, you have to win today, okay?" <laughs> and uh, or I was what? like, "Okay." Or, or what would happen? Oh no, I was already doing well at the time, so there was no threat uh, of getting fired, but he just said to me, uh, you bring like the win home, <laughs> that's it, and uh, he left. <laughs> and uh, it was a dramatic race actually, until like last lap I was fighting with one guy, and uh, I think uh, we touched on last lap, I overtook him, but uh, it was controversial, and they gave me something like one second time penalty, I don't know. Uh, just to move me from first to second, <laughs> and uh, and uh, he was actually very angry, but not with myself. He was angry with with Stuart's like. Oh, shit. oh, that's too much. I don't know why he's so intimidating. I think it's because he doesn't. Yeah, he he's so direct, isn't he, with his language? He doesn't, you know, he doesn't well, no. put around, as we would say. Oh, he's not that intimidating. I mean, in the beginning, and especially when you are young driver yes it can yeah. be but now yeah, of course you always respect his uh his uh his work but you you're able to to hold you know normal conversations so i think yeah. you should just uh, 
probably with him and you will change your opinion. <laughs> well, I have to say, when he wore lederhosen at the Austrian Grand Prix one year, I was like, I can't take you seriously ever again. That's fine. All the mistakes gone. <laughs> in the Pink and Bows want to support you in whatever way we can during these uncertain and constantly evolving times. So we're giving away more noise-cancelling headphones to bring some added calm to your life. To win the headphones, just tag in the three friends you're most looking forward to reconnecting with once lockdown is fully lifted. Always include the hashtag Bose and those headphones could be yours. Good luck and stay connected. So let's um, talk then about your most recent podium and uh, I don't know where it would rank in the three whether it's the best one but it certainly seemed the best drive that you've performed in order to deliver the podium was obviously at the German Grand Prix last year what a bonkers race that was I mean it had everything and um you emerged <laughs> unscathed at the end of it one of very few drivers who did and and was was on the podium I mean I, and, and you became a father the same day I just remember hugging you in the pen afterwards going I don't think it gets any bigger than this yeah, it was a huge night. Obviously, my daughter, you know, was born the, the same night, and so I didn't have best of sleeps because uh, it was during the night. And uh, yeah, I was uh, happy, of course. And uh, then the race day was raining a lot, and uh, and uh, you know, I think I remember France uh, came to me on the grid and said, "Look, if you just finish today clean, it will be a good, uh, good result." So. He was right and uh, of course uh, the beginning of race was tough because you know I was starting right in the middle of all the mess and all the spray from other cars I couldn't see anything it was I was really blind like couldn't see much and uh, the track was you know drying up drying up it was very delicate situations always very slippery on the edge of going off and in fact many drivers you know made mistakes that day uh, so it was important to stay on track and uh, keep your head cool and uh, uh, yeah, and choose the right moment to go on slicks. Like I knew it was crucial. It would be crucial because I felt that at some point we'll have to go on slicks, and uh, to choose that moment was was crucial. It's uh, it's changed uh, everything. And then I just had to overtake. I think uh, racing point uh, and uh, and hold them uh, behind me. And Vettel was uh, charging as well. It was tricky, tricky last few laps. Uh, and then, uh, then to finish, you know, the podium was a huge relief, huge emotion for everyone. It was a very happy moment, yeah. And what do you think it did for your career to get a podium in amongst all that chaos? You know, because you really did put in a magnificent drive. Do you think it was a boost when you needed it to really kind of, you know, reassure people that you were, that you were back and you were better than ever? Yeah, maybe it wasn't reassuring enough, but still, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it was good. It was mainly for, for, of course, I was happy for the team, uh, uh, mainly for the team because I wanted to, you know, leave, uh, always bring a strong result to Rosso and uh, uh, and uh, to bring them on the podium after, you know, 11 years, it was uh, very happy. And for me, of course, it, it was just a sense of achievement, I guess, uh, that's what... Uh, I would I would call the most because I, I wanted to achieve something big always and at least already this is, is something uh, I can always you know take with me uh, in, in my heart no matter what and uh, no matter where but it will always be there and uh, I just hope uh, more moments like this in the future and it's all. 
Absolutely. And when you're up there on the podium, is there a real sense of pride in racing for Russia, even though you haven't lived there for a very long time? I'm just kind of curious as to the, the Russian culture and how open Russians are. Because certainly whenever we go to Sochi, it's, um, it's well received. But do you think that, um, that Formula One is in the hearts of the Russians? Uh, certainly there's more interest now uh, for Formula One, for racing in general in Russia than, than before. Uh, it's growing, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, not as fast process as many people think, you know, and uh, it needs to be uh, well managed as well uh, with uh, good people behind it. Of course, uh, you know, to have a driver at the racing track is, is important and, uh, and uh, yeah, that's it. But, you know, they only, they want also, of course, the the victorious uh, people no one really cares uh, if you finish third fourth or fifth in russia uh, that's how it works uh, you know um, uh, that's the thing you know i could see sometimes you know if paris finishes seventh in, uh, in mexico is, is uh, very differently received uh, if i finish seventh in russia you know so uh, it's normal I, I don't i don't complain for sure it's just uh, it's just the way things are in that uh, country that's so interesting. So they don't necessarily get behind you and support you as you come through. They just want you to be immediately victorious. That must be something to do with Putin. He's drilled in that it's win or nothing. Well, you can, when you put it that way, it's a bit uh, harsh no, on the guys. <laughs> it's like, no, I have, I have a very good uh, lot of fans that have been sticking around me since junior career, for sure. Uh, there are those people, of course. Uh, it's just that, you know, you have to be fair to, to them as well. Uh, Formula One just started growing yeah. mainly three years back ago. It's not, uh, and like I said, it's, it's unfortunately, it's, uh, it's not an extremely fast process. You know, in England, you, you have big culture of racing. Uh, or let's take football, racing. In Russia, it's uh, hockey, for example, and, uh, and boxing. I would, I would say like this, but uh, not uh, F1 at the moment, not as big there as... Uh, it's, uh, it's those sports. But you're a pretty handy boxer yourself, aren't you? I'm okay. I can stand for myself, but uh, I'm really into it. I really love uh, that sport, uh, and uh, and I like it a lot. And uh, I, I just regret uh, starting a bit too late. Uh, but um, yeah, I enjoy. I always enjoy. I I never been in a big big sparring. I did a few sparrings, but I never been. A, you know, in what they call competitive sparring, where the guys try to take your head off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure Franz or Helmut would particularly appreciate that, given your career. I, don't know. <laughs> I, um, I interviewed someone on this podcast from the SAS. We've got a show over here called SAS Who Dares Wins. And he's this great guy called Billy who's come up through the ranks, but he was from quite a poor background and um, he got into boxing very early and he called it chess for the poor. And I thought that was a pretty cool way of describing boxing because there's so much that goes into it. You know, it's, it's, it's a very raw, beautiful sport in many ways, isn't it? You know, it's, um, it's, it's one person outwitting another. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very... It's very tough mentally also, you know, because you're so tired after two rounds and you need to still perform well. So it takes a lot of training and discipline. Yeah, it's, uh, I agree. It's, that's why I, I like it. And you have to dig deep many times to, to be able to perform. But you also can work on the bag sometimes, sometimes on the pads. 
but uh, I enjoy sparring a lot also with uh, some of the you know professional guys and uh, and they take it easy on me but uh, still it's always a learning process now. I think we should do a white collar boxing match with you and someone else from the grid. Who would you most like to box? <laughs> Anyone to be honest <laughs> with them I'm confident uh, it will be okay. <laughs> I reckon, yeah. yeah. Do you know what? I reckon you could take most of them. I can't think of anyone that would be. I reckon Danny Rick would be pretty handy. I've seen him do a bit of sparring. Yeah, yeah. We we spoke about it actually. Maybe we, once in December we will try when there is a gap between you know races. And uh, Carlos was also talking to me about uh, doing something, and uh, uh, but he wants to take it easy. So uh, I don't know. But also, you know, you need to. How do you say it? We're not professionals. No, it will not look uh, very beautiful. (laughs) I don't know. know. Daniel loves his UFC. You know, he just loves every kind of mixed martial art. And uh, you've just got to be a little bit wary of that, that he doesn't sort of slip in another move that's away from pure pugilism. Okay, no, anytime, anyone, anywhere. (laughs) Yes, I love it. just finishing up, how would you describe yourself? Because some of the things, the traits that have clearly come forward, and obviously I've known you for some time now, but you're clearly very determined. You clearly have this sort of never-giving attitude, tenacious, and you've touched on discipline there. How else would you describe yourself, do you think? Oof, you know, it's hard. It's hard to say. I think it's those comments that you said are always fair, you know, for an athlete who isn't competing at the top level and that's what I do, of course, and you have to have those qualities, you know, in order to be there with everyone else. And uh, we always will have to take something else, you know, to really make this very last step. And uh, it's hard to describe with words, you know, you just, you just have to find it, uh, have it. And uh, uh, the timing is very right. Uh, but talking about myself, I don't like, you know, describing myself. It feels like I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I always try to work on my not so good qualities, you know, like you know, when I was younger, maybe I was less patient, uh, less, uh, yeah, you know, when I was younger in go-karting, I would, you know, I would always want to win and uh, very impatient if things, you know, weren't going my way. And sometimes, you know, I would finish second uh, in a race that I should have won and I would cry, you know, for many minutes straight and uh, the people were like, come on, man, you finished second, it's not like you finished last <laughs> but I, I wasn't having any of it so I had to learn how to control more my you know emotions and um, um, these kind of things it's like good example you know like uh, in Hockenheim of course it was a very tough race and uh, it was hard to keep the head cool but that's for example the things I tried to work on that uh, in the end bring you the result because everyone Formula 1 is fast enough it's just you need to to learn what uh, what makes you be better and do you think becoming a father has helped at all with that because i certainly changed a lot when i became a mum yes i would say of course certainly it, it makes you see different side of life and uh of course you, you 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 it makes you think a lot but you know once you're racing you're in such a you know different space uh that uh you try to leave everything uh in the garage all the uh baggage of emotions and other things uh, uh, is is left there so once you're on track you're facing your yourself no 
and um, and your competitors. So, but yes, certainly it's a very very different uh, part of life. That's great. Thank you so much for your time. It's lovely to see you again. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you, and uh, hope to see you soon on around the racing track. Definitely. <laughs> I think there are a handful of F1 drivers on the grid who perhaps don't get the attention, the limelight that they deserve. But once you dig a little bit, you find that they've got great personalities and there's a lot more depth to them than is immediately obvious. And for me, Kvyat is one of them. So thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your life story with us. Keep doing what you're doing and hopefully you will have a great 2020 season when it gets underway. Thank you very much, Danny Kvyat. Now, guys, don't forget that you have still got the opportunity to win these noise-cancelling headphones from Bose. And they are amazing. Trust me, they're exactly what you need right now and for the rest of your life, in fact. Just that moment of calm away from the madness um, that these headphones can offer. So all you need to do is tag in two friends on Instagram, either on my page or on the In The Pink podcast page. And... Make it the friends that you're most looking forward to reconnecting with once lockdown is fully lifted. Add the hashtag Bose, rate, review, subscribe, join our In The Pink community and those headphones could be yours. Until next week, and in fact we've got loads of people coming up next week, uh, including Sir Chris Hoy. What a man he is. He will certainly inspire you, I'm sure. Uh, until then, take care, stay connected and see you very soon. Bye for now. 